This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of the North Church, as part of the 2023 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. All right, sadly, this is the last time I get to teach work training with you all, but you got Ryan and Chase and Travis uh, and Emily going to be doing this. Uh, y'all going to do a great job. So last week we talked about <clears throat> what is the Bible and why should you trust it. And this week we're going to talk about how do you look for Jesus in all of the Bible. So Christ-centered Bible reading. Christ-centered Bible reading. And I know I've talked a lot about this, honestly. And I know a lot of you all, um, you probably understand this at a fundamental level. Like you understand that, all right, Jesus is the center of Scripture. All Scripture points at Jesus. But instead of just explaining it more, like I, I really want to demonstrate this to you. Because I think if you can get a grip on this, it's going to really, really be helpful. Um, so two ways I'm going to do this. <clears throat> We're going to read and talk about a famous story. Most of you probably know David and Goliath. And then secondly, in the OIE training, we're going to trace a theme throughout Scripture. And I think these two ways are going to help you think about how do I find Jesus in the Bible? How is Jesus truly the center of the Bible? How can I read the Bible in a Christ-centered way? All right, so I'm going to pray, and we're going to get going. <clears throat> Father, we come before you, and we pray, and God, we ask that you would help us to understand your word. Father, that you would help us to see your son Jesus more. Father, that you would give us grace, Lord, to, to be transformed by your word. And, and God, I pray, if this, is, if this is new to anyone in this room, God, I pray that they would see how that you, oh God, are the centerpiece of all of Scripture. Uh, that we need to look to you and learn about you. And as we do, God, you will transform our hearts and our minds to be conformed into Jesus' image more. God, we pray that you would do that today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what exactly do I mean, right? Bergie, you keep talking about Scripture, it all points to Jesus. But I've read the Old Testament. I've never, without one time, found Jesus' name in the Old Testament. So what in the world do you mean? To answer this question, we're going to look at two short passages in the New Testament to start us out, okay? And we're going to start in the Gospel of Luke. And I want to give you a little context before we jump right in. So this is after Jesus' life. He's lived a perfect life of obedience. He has went to the cross, and he's died. And so many of the disciples doubt that he's getting up at this point. He was crucified, he was mocked, and they do not believe that Jesus is coming back, essentially. And then from Jerusalem to the city called Emmaus, these disciples are walking on this road, okay? And as they walk, Jesus shows up on the scene, resurrected. But they don't, they don't know that it's him. The scriptures say that uh, Jesus is preventing them from understanding or perceiving that Jesus is who he is. And he's like, hey, what's going on here? He's like, are you the only person that has heard in Jerusalem what happened? Uh, Jesus was murdered and like, we thought he was the Messiah. And they're just so sad. And Jesus proceeds to rebuke them and then teach them why he is who he is. And this is the context for our passage. In Luke 24, it reads, And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning them. So, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what does this mean? 
What is Jesus doing here? Well, if you're a Jew, anytime they reference uh, Moses, they're referring to the first five books of the, of the Bible, right? Uh, if you want to get really fancy, some, they, they call it the Torah. You don't even know that. Uh, but the first five books, right? And then the prophets are all these prophets. You've got Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Hosea, Malachi, Micah, right? You've got all these prophets testifying of this Messiah to come. And then Jesus adds in all the scriptures. He's talking about things concerning himself. So Jesus starts to teach from these books that never mention his name, letters that never actually directly talk about him, and yet he's saying that all of them are referring to him. Jesus opens these disciples' minds to see the scripture with a Christ-centered view, not themselves. Jesus teaches the disciples in this moment that all the scriptures talk about him and not about them. Let's look at another passage really quick. And then I'm going to demonstrate this. This context is Jesus is in a heated debate with these Pharisees, these religious leaders of the day. And the debate is Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the long-awaited Messiah. And they're like, no, you're not. And then Jesus starts to bring testimony after testimony after testimony, things and people to testify that Jesus is truly who he says he is. And he, being a good Jew, knows how much these Jews love and respect Moses. And he calls Moses to the ballot, all right? John records it like this. Jesus says, Do not think that I will will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how would you believe my words? Hold up. I've read the first five books of the Old Testament. I've never seen one ounce of Jesus. I've never read his name there. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying that Moses believed in Christ before, I mean, you know, he, Moses did. He's saying that Moses wrote about Jesus. So what is he talking about? Once again, Jesus says that these Old Testament authors wrote about him, but yet they never mentioned his name. How is this? Well, once again, instead of just explaining it to you, I'm going to demonstrate it through a famous story of David and Goliath. So, Raise your hand if you've ever heard of David and Goliath, please. Okay, almost every single person in this room. All right, when you hear of David and Goliath, what do you think of? Think sports. How have you heard it taught before? Underdog. The underdog, right? You've got Bellarmine University versus Alabama football, right? Who is going to win? Can Bellarmine, David, muster up the strength to conquer his Goliath, right? You've seen that in probably your local news article. Uh, when you were a kid in sports, right? Your high school versus a rival school. Who is going to win? Can they do it? And there's something about it we love, right? Or have you heard it like this? Sadly, tons of those, those false teachers who are, are prosperity gospel come to Jesus and you just get everything you want. I've heard him talk about it like this. Your job is Goliath. And what you need is to conquer and succeed is the slingshot of faith. And you need to be like David and just conquer your job in faith. Probably heard something like that. Or Goliath is all of those who slander you, who put you down, who bring negative energy into your life. And what you need to do is be like David. You need to pick up your slingshot. And in that, you need to put the rocks of encouragement, rocks of positive energy, rocks of kindness. And we're going to slay him with kindness. Or you may have heard it something like this. Goliath is everything you're afraid of. David shows you that even the little guy can have confidence in his faith in the midst of fear. 
that if you just have enough confidence, you can you can beat that bully on the on, on the on the school ground, or you can you can put that boss in his place. You just need confidence, like David. You can do it. And there's something about these that we love, right? There's something that we love about a good underdog story. Think about Rudy, Pursuit of Happiness. Think about, remember the Titans. Why do we love these movies? Because it evokes something in us. It gets us excited. We're like, yes, like the little guy can do it. Yes, the underdog can win. I can do this, right? It, it, it stirs up something in us and we're like, we can do it. We love to believe that we can be the victor. We love to believe that we can just white knuckle it and lace up our bootstraps and climb the ranks and we win. We love movies like this because we believe that we can do it. We love sermons like the ones I quoted before because we walk out feeling so good on a Sunday. We're like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I'm going to conquer this job. Like, I'm going to go in there and I got my slingshot and I am going to reign today. There's something inside of us that loves that. We love songs that make us believe in ourselves. Some of my Swifty friends, uh, Jacqueline and Sophie, tell me that uh, long live kind of invokes something about this. It makes you feel good about yourself. Why do we love songs like this? Why do we love movies like this? I think it's because we love to be at the center. We love to think we got this. And let me explain something. When you come to the Bible and you take this kind of me-centered view, and I'm the victor mentality, I'm the conqueror mentality, your starting point is all off. It's like putting on glasses. The way you view everything, the way you read the Bible, your starting point is already off. So your ending interpretation, your ending and understanding is going to be far, far off. And when you, when you read the Bible like this, when you read that I'm at the center, I'm the victor, I'm the conqueror, I'm the one that can, that can do this, you miss the greatest thing, God. You forget that this is God's story. This is God revealing himself to us. This is God teaching us about his character, his nature, who he is. And when you insert yourself into the center, you miss the greatest character, God. And when you miss that, you miss what God is truly trying to teach you. You misapply and you misinterpret the Bible because you're missing God. All right, let's turn to David and Goliath. Bree, explain to me how, how, like I think I'm tracking with you, but give me an example, okay? David and Goliath, a little backstory. Israel at this point is the mighty nation reigning under God. It is a theoc- uh, yeah, theocracy, is that right? Where's my theologian? Is that right? Something like that. That, that God is ruling over this nation, right? They don't have a king, okay? At, oh, up until this point, they didn't. Okay? And what's happening? They're thriving. It's incredible. God then gives them a king named Saul. Things are great. Saul's not that great, but things in Israel are great. And then the Philistines come up against Israel. The Philistines are this pagan nation that worships their own false gods. And they decide to come up against who? God's people, Israel. They want to kill Israel. They want to enslave Israel. They want to reign over Israel. So they come and they bring their greatest warrior, Goliath. Goliath towers over his enemies. He is an assassin, a warrior from birth. He's had many, many battles. The scriptures say that he is nearly seven feet tall. He is mighty in strength in Israel's army. 
along with their king Saul, is standing on the other side of the battlefield looking at this mighty man, and they are afraid. And, and Goliath taunts them day in and day out, give me someone to fight. Bring him out so I can kill him. And this is where our text uh, will pick up. 1 Samuel 17. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against you and him, uh, prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Israel, looking at those people who oppose God and God's people, are afraid. The king, afraid, dismayed, the text says, peeing down their legs, cowering at Goliath. That's the context. And then who shows up? Little David, little shepherd boy, right? He gets orders, hey, go feed your brothers who are in the military. And when David's got the food, he's like, what's going on, guys? And David sees this Philistine, and he sees uh, the, the Philistines, and he's like, let's go kill these guys. Like, come on. We're God's people, right? And David says this to Saul. Let, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep the sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. I mean, David, little OG, right? I mean, could you imagine this sidebar grabbing a lion by the beard and slaying him? <laughs> Incredible. And if he, if he arose against me, I, uh, it's 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine, and for those who don't know that, that is just a simple way of saying, this person is outside of the people of God. The uncircumcised were the pagans. They were the ones who did not follow God. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has done what? He has defied the armies of the living God. David knows who God is, and David knows who he is. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from this hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. No one. I wish we had more time. They try to put like they try to put the armor on him. It literally it just engulfs him. He can't even pick up the sword. He's too weak. Like nobody, no one, no one <laughs> thinks that David could do this. Nobody. And they're right. There's no way David could do this. There's literally no way. 
No way. But who is with David? God Almighty. God goes before David, and God, key word, God is about to demonstrate to everybody who he is. Not who David is, but who he is. David goes out to meet Goliath, and when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on, his for- on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David, because he couldn't even, he was weak. Then David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, and drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. What does David do? David goes on behalf of the cowering, fearful people of God and defeats those who come up against God and God's people. So when we read this story, are we to interpret and to apply this to our lives in the sense that we are David? Are we supposed to see that all we need is a little bit of faith and we can crush and defeat anything that comes up against us? I don't think so. Let's take stock of the people in the story. Who do we have? You have David, you have the Philistines and Goliath, and then you have Israel, right? The people of God. Who are we in the story? Are we David? Are we the Philistines? Are we, are we the evil one that's coming up against God? Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's the point of this. No, if we are truly being honest with ourselves, we're Israel. We look at the devil. We look at sin, we look at the world, and we cower. We think about death, and we tremble thinking about eternal separation. How can we win? How can we defeat our greatest enemy? We are doubtful that God can truly do what he promises to deliver his people. We are Israel in the sword, but what is it inside of us? Truly, think about this. What is it inside of you that struggles to think about, I'm Israel? It's because you're not the victor. It's because you're not the one who can do it for yourself. And there's something that goes up against the grain that we don't like that, right? The people who constantly get aggravated with God, the people who continually doubt God, the people who continually rebel against God, that's who I am in the story? Who are the Philistines in Goliath? Well, I think they embody, this, this is a real historical event, I think they embody the devil. Why? Because they have aligned themselves with Satan. How do I know that? Because Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Satan comes against God's people and against God himself. What does Goliath and the Philistines want to do? They want to kill Israel. They want to enslave Israel. They want to destroy and take everything they have. So who is David? David is God's anointed one. Anointed is another way to set apart that 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 God sets David apart to be the ruler. David is a shepherd. We saw this in the text, right? He, he, he cares for the sheep. He watches over the sheep. He fights for the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep to protect them. David is king over God's people, Israel. He, he, he becomes the actual king of Israel later on. And what does this king do? 
David rules righteously. People loved David. He, he did what was right in the eyes of God, and he did what was right in the eyes of the people. Could you imagine living in a land where you can take confidence in your leader that they are going to do what is right in God's eyes? There was peace in Israel. David destroys Israel's enemies. David, over and over and over, fights for Israel. And David conquers the enemies who come up against God's people. So who is David? David points us to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God's anointed one. And Luke 3, what happens? You all saw this in Mark. Jesus goes out. John the Baptist baptizes him. And God says, this is my beloved son. This is the one set apart. And then in chapter 4, what happens? Jesus rolls up in the synagogue, opens the scroll of Israel, I mean, of Isaiah, reads it and says, it's fulfilled in your presence. Jesus is the good shepherd. Psalm 23 talks about this, this good shepherd who tends and keeps the sheep. John 10 says that Jesus is the good shepherd, and this shepherd is different than the hired shepherd. This shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and he goes before the sheep. Who is Jesus? Jesus is not just king over Israel. Jesus is king over all. Colossians 1 says that everything was made by him and through him and for him, that he has dominion over everything, and that Jesus is head over the church, God's people. Who is Jesus? Though David reigned righteously, he, he failed. He was not perfect. Jesus rules with perfect righteousness. Who is Jesus? Though David destroyed those who came up against Israel, Jesus destroys our greatest enemies. The devil, the world, and the flesh. Hebrews 2 says this, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, that's talking about us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I mean, can you just see how much greater Jesus is than David? If you were an Israelite living under David's reign, you would have been so happy. You would have been so thankful. It would have been so good. But then to rule under Jesus, oh, that's like a fresh cup of cold water on a hot day. It is refreshing. It is good. So who is David? He is a type of Christ. He is an illusion. He is something pointing us to a greater one. When you read the Bible and you make yourself the main character, when you make yourself the victor of the story, you miss what God has in store for you. You miss what God is trying to teach you. He is trying to teach you more about who he is. He is trying to teach you more about who Jesus is. He is trying to teach you how much more Jesus loves you. How much more Jesus knows you. How much more Jesus cares for you. How much more gracious Jesus is. How much more merciful he is. How much more kind he is. How much more he hates sin. And when you insert yourself in the story and you become the centerpiece, you miss what God has in store for you that you get these quote-unquote spiritual TED Talks, these, these sermons that, that make you feel really good for a day, but they have no sustenance. They can't do anything for you, but when you read the Bible and you see that Jesus is the one that I'm looking for, your heart does what? It starts to well up with deeper and deeper gratitude. 
There's that old hymn. I'm going to butcher it in some ways, but bear with me. Uh, it talks about when all these things in the world, right? They're, they're incredible. You, you, you see all these things and they're, they're, like, they're luring you in. But the more you look, uh, like Dave says, to something greater, all of the things start to grow, fade away and they grow strangely dim. The more that you look at Jesus, the more you search for him in Scripture, the greater you know him, the greater your faith will grow. And the more the things of the world, they'll fade away. I want you to read the Bible and ask me, ask this, how does this point me to Jesus and not myself? And what does this passage teach me about Jesus? Don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with learning uh, as the scriptures teach you more about yourself. You'll learn about that. But I don't want you to miss the main question you need to ask. What does this teach me more about God and his character? What does this teach me more about who Jesus is? All throughout the Bible, there are types of Jesus. Abraham, this, this called one, right? Who, who has great faith to leave everything. And through Abraham is going to come what? The blessings for the world, the nation. Who does that make you think of? Jesus. He was called out of this little place. And then through Jesus, the nations will be blessed. Well, think about Moses. Moses goes in and, and frees the people of God from slavery under Pharaoh, right? Who does that make me think of? Well, well, Jesus defeats our greatest enemies and frees us from the shackles of slavery of sin, right? And like Elijah uh, and, and Boaz and David and Joshua, think about these. How do these people point me to Jesus? I don't want you to read the stories and think, wow, man, Paul is just so amazing. Abraham is just so amazing. I wish I was more like him. And once again, there's nothing wrong with desiring to emulate someone's faith. Rather, you should think, wow, though Abraham was so faithful to God, he pales in comparison to Jesus. Though Moses was so amazing of a leader, he pales in comparison to Jesus. Let these figures, let these people point you to the greater one. So when you read the Bible, think, how does this individual, how do these people teach me about Jesus? How do they point my eyes more to Jesus? Reading the Bible in a Christ-centered manner takes practice and discipline. Because we must remember that we aren't the center of the story, but Jesus is. This is not something that you're going to master today, uh, but I want to put it in front of you because I think it's, we, we think it's so important for you to see that Jesus is the epicenter of the whole Bible. And the more you search for him, friends, the, the deeper your faith will grow. Amen? Okay. Let me pray, and then we're going to do an OIA training, and I think it's going to help kind of uh, double down on this, okay? Father, we come before you, and God, we thank you so much uh, for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that you have uh, given us your word, and it reveals your character, your nature, your being. It reveals us uh, to us, your son, Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would help us to stop just thinking about ourselves all day, especially when we read your word. God, would you help us to think about you and your glory? Would you help us to understand who Christ is more and more? And would we, would we walk away looking more like him and looking more to him, God? Lord Jesus, we pray and ask that you would do this. Amen. I really want to focus on interpretation. And I really think you are getting a grip on the observation. Uh, I know I made a joke last week that so many people will jump to interpretation, calling in the observation. But y'all are doing good, okay? And I really want to help you understand 
a little bit more about how can we properly make sense of a passage? How do we not end up thinking uh, when, a, when a passage says Jesus is the Lamb of God, not thinking, oh man, that, that means that Jesus is, is, is like this, this tender kind of sheep and uh, he's, he's really quiet and uh, he's, 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 he's really sweet. Like you can cuddle Jesus and like, uh, man, he, 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 he doesn't really know where he's going, but man, he's along for the ride, right? Like he, he, he could be led somewhere, right? I mean, I, I kind of explained what a sheep is in some ways, but how do you know for certain that I'm not crazy? I know you laugh, but could you, could you demonstrate it? Could you prove it based on what the Bible says? So today we're actually going to take uh, we're going to we're going to do a bunch of cross references, okay? And I focus on I, I delete everything else, and I want you to focus on these two things. There are themes all over the Bible, okay? Themes, some of them being um, water, some of them Holy Spirit, some of them grace, mercy, uh, some of them sacrifice, uh, Lamb of God. Uh, uh, the, the, there's this fancy word called tabernacle, so dwelling with God's people. God wants to tabernacle. God wants to dwell with his people. And you can take these words, you can take these things, and you can trace them all throughout Scripture. And here's what happens, okay? Uh, Y'all know that old school like cartoons, somebody kicks a snowball down a hill, and this part, honestly, I'm thinking about Scooby-Doo, I think, and the ball just starts getting momentum, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Uh, themes are like that in the Scriptures. They compound upon one another. So you take this, this idea about, uh, in, in, in the Garden of Eden, God is what? With Adam and Eve, right? Fancy word there is tabernacle, it's dwelling with God's people. You can pick this word up, you go to the next section, right? Um, Israel is in the, in the wilderness, and what does God do? Make a tent so that I can do what? Dwell with you so that I can tabernacle with you. And you're like, okay. I'm starting to piece it together more. And then you go to the next thing, and you see this about how God wants to be with his people. And then you keep going, and you're like, oh, like the the, the pieces are, it's coming together. Like I see it more and more. And then you get all the way to Revelation, all the way, I think it's 21, and what does God say? There's no need for the temple. Because why? God is going to be with his people forever. God is going to dwell with his people forever. And as you piece all this together, you get this robust, this, this, this deeper understanding about what God truly wants to do with his people. And all of these scriptures, they, they, they add extra weight to this meaning of dwelling. Does this make sense a little bit? Okay, so I'm trying to exemplify this before I just give this to you, okay? Today, what I want us to do is we're going to do cross-references, and we're going to focus on one theme, okay? And I want you to be able to answer this question at the end. Whenever you think... <coughs> What does the Lamb of God mean? I want you to be able to ask, do other passages align with my interpretation? Okay, this is a safeguard for you. All right, so go ahead and go to the next one. The theme for today is Jesus, the Lamb of God. All right? I think I have five passages I'm going to have you study, and I'm going to give you three minutes, three to five minutes on each one of these. So I want you to focus in, okay? Because I'm telling you if, you, if you practice this, and you start to see some big themes in the scriptures, you will be able to, it'll help you love God more, okay? Um, so we're going to do OIA on every one of these passages. But the thing I want you to do, only right now, is I want you to make so many observations, okay, on each one of these passages. All right? So we're going to start. Go. 
So how do you know when John says Jesus is the Lamb of God that he's not just this cuddly little man? How do you know that he's not just this little tender sheep falling around like every other sheep? You know the old school song? Uh, I know that Jesus loves me. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. You want to be great in interpreting scripture? See what the Bible says about that topic. See what scripture says about that thing. Who is Jesus? He is the Lamb of God. What does that mean? Jesus, when he he took the bread, and after blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What did Isaiah say? That this, this Messiah, he will be crushed for our iniquities. He will be pierced for our transgression. He will be led to the slaughter. His body will be, will be broken, right? What does Jesus say? And he took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, all of you, for this is my what? My blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. He is the one that all of Scripture was pointing to. He is the one who takes away the sins of the world. How? He shed His blood. He broke His body. He gave Himself for us. How do you understand the themes of the Bible? Trace them through Scripture. You could do this with any topic, okay? You can understand more and more and more about this topic. We could, I could have kept going. There are so many about the Lamb of God. Take Abraham and Isaac. Why he's about to sacrifice? What happens? Out of nowhere, this, this ram comes as a sacrificial uh, a spot in Isaac's place. At the end of Revelation, what's going to happen? There's going to be a lamb who is standing, but yet he looks like he's slain. He's a, a conquering lamb, but yet he looks slaughtered. And all of the angels will stand and say, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb. Who is he talking about? It's Jesus. So I hope you're seeing, how do I understand what Scripture says? Look for the themes. Look for the cross-references. Look to see, the Scripture telling me that what I think is right is right? Let Scripture interpret Scripture. This is making sense? And I don't know where, I don't know how much Bible understanding y'all are coming in with, but I hope from many of you all, you're seeing connections that maybe you've never seen before. Light bulbs are going off like you've never seen. And a lot of you in your Bibles in the middle, you might have all these like little, little fine print and it might say ISA 4.32. That means Isaiah 4.32. If you go to that verse, it's a cross-reference. Or some of you, you have those nice little study Bibles. They have these notes at the bottom. There's a line uh, depicting what is actually Bible and what is a commentator. Uh, look at those. When you're confused, like, what is atonement? And in verse 2, go over here and say, oh, Isaiah 53, 4-7. All right, I'm going to go flip over there and read. Oh, like I'm understanding what atonement means more and more. It's a sacrifice, right? Uh, use those. If you don't have a Bible um, with those cross-references in it, I really recommend you getting one. They're like 20 bucks. If you don't have one, tell your staff. I'm, I'm putting it on them. They'll buy you one, okay? Uh, they're, they're really, really helpful to have because they're going to help you ping-pong around uh, the Scriptures, and it's going to help you understand more and more. Uh, 
So uh, is there any questions that you all have in light of like how studying a theme or cross-references work or questions about this? Okay, I'm just gonna assume that it was very, very clear. Um, raise your hand if this is maybe one, of, don't feel shy, seriously, I'm, I'm just curious. Raise your hand if this is one of the first times you had seen like really connected passages all throughout scripture. Okay, well, this is good, I'm happy. Um, okay, did I just go off? That's okay. Um, okay, that's what I wanted to do for the day. I wanted to give you more time to just sit and think about how can I interpret Scripture? How can I do it properly? Remember this fancy term. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. If you think you're right, ask the question, how can I prove it through other places in the Bible? It will be a safeguard for you. As you go through Mark, and you're like, man, Jesus walked on water, therefore, I can walk on water. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it to me using other passages. If you can, so let it be. We'll go on the pool today. If you can't, what, what's that mean? My interpretation is probably not right. I need to keep looking. Okay? Uh, let me pray for us. And then next week, Ryan is going to come up. You got an announcement too? Okay. Ryan's going to come up and talk about the blessings of God's Word. And he's really going to key in and help you think about, okay, how can I make sure that I'm applying Scripture right? Okay, He's going to really make sure that you're, you're focusing on right application. All right, so let me pray for us, and then Chase is going to come up. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, we, we thank you that you gave it to us, and it's, it's living and active, God, that it is still working. God, we pray that you would help us be good, good students of your word, not so that we can have knowledge that puffs us up with pride, God, not so that we can teach a seminar and show everybody about our, how much knowledge we have, God, but so that you would transform our hearts and minds to be more like Christ. God, would you use your word to well up with joy our salvation, God. Help us to look to Jesus this summer, God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2023 Summer Training Project, hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis the college ministry of the North Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.